0: Thank you for listening to the Grace Hill Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. When Emma, my oldest, uh, she's down here on the front row, she turns 12 next month. Uh, But when Emma, my oldest, she was in, I think it was first grade, it may have been second grade. We we lived in a different uh, part of town, we actually lived in East Memphis, and uh, I loved the school that... Uh, She and uh, my next oldest daughter, Ava, had a chance to go to for a few years. It was Richland Elementary. And the reason why I loved it is because the school was so diverse. Uh, In her classroom, uh, it was about um, 60 to 70 percent in her classroom alone of minority students that went to that school. And so she got to go to school with... um, uh, kids from Islamic faith. She had a, a, a little Buddhist girl in her class uh, w- one year. I mean, it was just such a neat experience to get a chance to see her interact with those, uh, those kids, uh, as well as the parents to get to act, interact with one another. And I can remember one of, the, one of the, uh, the weeks she came home and Emma was telling me about a friend in her class, and I had been in the classroom a few times. And she was telling me about one of her friends who had gotten really, really sick, and, and Emma didn't quite know how to process it, and, and so she was telling me about the fact that she had been in the hospital for a few weeks, and that she uh, she was, had, was just getting ready to come back to school, and hopefully next week, and so I asked Emma, I said, well, what was her name? And she told me her name, and I it couldn't place the name, and so I asked this question, and again, I, I don't mean any. Please hear me, I don't mean any disrespect when I, when I say what I'm going to say. I was just trying to identify wh- which person it was in the classroom, which little girl it was, and so I asked her this question. I said, well, well honey, was it, the, was it the little girl with the, with the, with the darker, more, more of brown skin? Was that who it was that was in your class that was really sick? And, and this is not a preacher story, I'm not making this up. Emma looked at me, she probably doesn't even remember this, she looked at me with this blank look and she said, what are you talking about, dark skin? What do you What do you mean, brown skin? There, there, there was no difference to her between the color of, of her skin and, and the color of her client. Like that, that idea of somehow or another distinguishing between uh, uh, who someone would be based on the color of their skin alone, it, it didn't even register with her in that moment. And I began to think about that story this week as I begin to work on what we're going to talk about today, and I begin to think about that and just go, man, would it not be, especially with what we see in our world today, would it not be amazing if we could live our life with those kind of eyes, if we could live our life not making distinctions between certain groups of people, not bringing presuppositions about people into a conversation or into a relationship solely based on the way that they look, solely based on their religious background, solely based on their, their past and their family connection? Would it not be refreshing to be able to approach life in a way to where everyone in our eyes was the same? Now, if you're a follower of Jesus, you, you believe that, you know that, but we are still in our lives, we, we have, some of us, we have these kind of hardwired views and the way that we see the world. And what's interesting is living in a city like Memphis, Tennessee, and I was born in this city, I've been here all of my life for the most part, is the racial tensions that are here still exist. They have spread it's no longer between just the African-American community and, and, the, and the, the Caucasian, the white community. It is spread into other, as our city has grown more diverse, it's spread into other um, backgrounds. It's spread into other ethnicities. And so for us living in a city like this, this is something that is very, very important for us as followers of Jesus to talk about. But what's interesting is that this tension between races, This tension between people groups is not something that started a couple of hundred years ago. It isn't something that started um, back in the 50s in the Civil Rights Movement. This tension between people based on their background and their heritage, who they were born with a family that they were born into, has existed for thousands and thousands of years. And the Apostle Paul knew that. Writing in this jail cell, in this Roman jail, he, he knew this tension very well. You see, there was this tension that existed between the Jews and the Gentiles. And it wasn't just tension. It was, it was clash. It was war. It was hatred. There was, a, there was a, 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 some historians I was reading about this week and the, and the common theme from the Jews, now these are, these are God's people, okay? So just kind of keep tracking with me on that. The common view from the Jews towards the Gentiles was this, is that they were created to fuel the fires of hell. That was a common statement that they made. Another common statement that was known among the Jewish people was this, the best of the serpents crush, the best of the Gentiles kill it, wasn't, it was not lawful to aid, if you were Jewish, it was not lawful to aid a Gentile woman in giving birth. Because the thought was, is that, again, this is according to the historians, is that would be bringing another heathen into the world. And so this collision, this tension between the Jews and the Gentiles was monumental. And Paul knew it. And Paul addressed it right in the the middle of this book that we've been looking at. And so imagine if you have been living in this world where there was this tension. And you were were an outsider. You weren't an insider. Because let's just be honest, the majority of us here come from a, a past and a background. We're based on the way that we look. We've always had a little bit more of a shot to be an insider than we are an outsider. So imagine your whole life you've been an outsider to this people group. You've been an outsider to this people group's God, who they say is the one true God. And now this, this, this apostle, this man writes the letter, and, and, and you, you hear this letter read. And this letter communicates hey, those of you who are outside, guess what? Now you're inside. Those of you who are far from God, guess what? Now you're near to God. Those of you who had no peace because of this tension, guess what? Now you have peace because of a savior. And so today, here's, here's the reality. And again, we're we're just we're talking, we're family, we love each other. So today, as we go through this text, there's a spiritual, there's a spiritual implication for what we're going to read today. Okay? Big time spiritual implication. But also, because of this tension that exists, and what you have to do is when you read the Bible, especially, I mean, any passage of Scripture, but especially one that is so rooted in the historical context, what you have to ask the question, you have to ask this question, you have to say, what is the writer trying to communicate? What is the writer trying to say? And so there are deep spiritual implications for the passage that we're going to study today. And there are also deep social implications implications in the passage that we're going to look at today. So if you have a Bible, if you've got your app, if you didn't bring any of the above and you're going, man, I don't know how to track along with you guys, guess what? It's all going to be on the screen, so you don't have to worry about it. We're going to be in Ephesians 2, starting in verse 11. And Paul says this, therefore, now again, we said this a couple of weeks ago, whenever you see the word therefore, you got to ask, well, what's it there for? Well, go back and read. Really start in chapter 1 and just read all the way up to chapter 2, verses 11. And Paul says, therefore, because of everything that I've told you already, therefore. And it's an interesting word that he uses after the comma, therefore. It's an interesting word. He says this word. He says, remember. Remember. And then what's even more interesting is what he calls them to remember. He says this, that at one time you were Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Now, you can, you can already just feel the tension, the historical tension that Paul is leaning into right there. This is thousands of years of clash between the Gentile people. And the jewish people and, and the word here for memory is more than just a i mean the word for remember here is more than just a memory it's this this call to action it's it's an action based on memory it's okay i remember this and so therefore i'm going to do something because i remember this it's not just like oh yeah i remember that time that we went on vacation that was nice it would be like oh man i remember that time we went on vacation let's go now that's, that's the idea that Paul is trying to communicate. It, it's more than just a memory. It's a call to action based on, what, based on what he's asking them to remember. Now, we've got to talk here for just a minute about this whole circumcision, uncircumcision. Uh, students, kids, if you don't know what that is, just talk to your parents about it afterwards. Uh, they'll explain it, they'll fill in all the gaps for you. But, but the idea of circumcision here... What Paul is communicating is he's telling them to remember. See, circumcision for the Jewish people communicated a sign of promise from God. It communicated a sign of covenant from God. And and for a circumcised male, it also communicated a sign of obedience to God. And it was a sign of belonging to God's people, the Jewish people. And once you were circumcised, there was really no going back. You You were covenanted into God's people, and, and so what Paul is saying here is: Remember, you, you, you uncircumcised people, you were called this by the the people of God, the people that were promised by God, the, the people that belonged to God. You were the uncircumcised. You were the outsider in this moment. He goes on, and he says this: Remember that at that time, and he gives them five very, very hopeless statements. And he says this, remember that at that time you were once separated from Christ. You were too alienated from the commonwealth, or that would be the citizenship, your translation may say that, of Israel. Number three, you were strangers to the covenants of promise for having no hope. And five, without God in the world. That might be the most depressing verse of Scripture in the entire Bible. But thankfully, we get more to the story than that. And this is what I think Paul would be trying to communicate to us, and this is what I think he was trying to communicate to the regions. Because, see, unless, again, unless you were Jewish, and, and again, I assume that we don't have a lot of Jewish people here today, then, then we all, because we would be Gentiles in this passage of Scripture. You see, this is the category that we were in. And this is what Paul says. He says, you need to remember to remember your past. Now you don't linger on it and you don't live in your past. You've been set free from your past. You, you've been f- set free from those poor decisions. The Bible tells us that there is now, therefore, no condemnation in Christ. But here's what happens when you remember where you once were. When you remember where you once were, it should cause you to be so excited and to be so thankful. And to be so filled with worship for where you're headed. I love the song by Matt Redmond. The the, the song is just called Where Would We Be is the name of the song. And the chorus says, where would we be without your love? We'd still be lost in darkness. Where would we be without your cross? You made a way to save us. You see, when we remember where we were, it causes us to live differently to where we're headed. And Paul doesn't say to stay in the past. He, he, he's not saying you need to linger here. You need to, 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 to just live in the past, in the poor decisions. You have a new reality. And this is what he goes on and he says this. But now in Christ. I wish we could, like, dramatize this moment because I would love at the end of verse 12 to have the lights go down and the music get real dark and real, you know, and then verse 13, though, is, man, I mean, it is the rush of hope. The light comes through. The music comes up. But now in Christ, you who were once, this is our past, reminding them again of where they were, have been, were far off, have been brought near. How? Well, by being good enough, right? Right? By not making some of the same bad choices that some of your friends made that crazy weekend in college. Maybe by being better than the rest of my family, you know, hey, I've got some stuff in my past and some things I shouldn't have done to war, you know, I've committed some sins, but I didn't do those sins. Maybe by the, the knowledge that you have of the Bible, because you've sat week after week after week, month after month after month, year after year after year in a, in a chair like this somewhere, and you have this knowledge of the Bible. No. No, the news is so much better than that. This is what Paul says. He says, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near. Why and how? By the blood of Christ. So this is the second thing that Paul's telling us today, is that because of Christ Jesus, our location has changed. You see, we got to remember to remember our past, but because of Christ Jesus, our location has changed. He, he goes on and he says this. He says, notice how verse 12 is different than verse 13. Notice how t- verse 12 is different than verse 13. He says this in verse 12. i got to find verse 12. Sorry. My notes got messed up on here. Sorry, verse 13, not verse 12. That's why I was confused. Notice that before this, uh, in verse 12, he says that you were separated from Christ. Now, now Jesus Christ, Jesus is not the first name, and Christ is not the last name of Jesus Christ. Christ is the, the office. Christ is the, is the position. Another word for Christ is Messiah. And so this word, Christ, it's a very Jewish term. The people had longed for their Messiah, they had hoped for their Messiah. Part of the New Testament is filled with the prophets prophesying about the Messiah that was coming. This is a very Jewish term, but watch what he says in verse 13. He says, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near. He changes, doesn't he? He changes, because see now, Jesus is the person. Jesus is the person that was the Savior of the world. And so now it's no longer you who have been brought near by Christ, the Messiah, the one that was reserved for the Jewish people, or so they thought, but now you have been brought near by the blood of Jesus Christ, the Messiah of the whole world. He's flipping the script on them, and he flips the script on us. We've been brought near through the blood of the Savior, the Messiah. Jesus of the whole world. I love the positional statements that he makes to the contrast. He says, for you were once far, but now you're near. Don't you love the intimacy of that picture? That the Savior, Messiah, Jesus, this, this cosmos, this, this huge expanse, this long-awaited one... Gave his life. And it wasn't in a, in a distant, off-the-radar sort of, oh, wow, that's not tangible. Paul says, you have been brought near. You've been brought close. By the blood of Jesus Christ. Isaiah 57, 19 says this, peace, peace to the far and to the near, says the Lord. And I will heal them. And Paul continues on in that theme. He says in verse 14, for he himself is our peace. He alone is our peace. Who has made us. And, and now he, he begins to narrow it. Now, now it's no longer just the world. Now it's no longer just the Gentiles. Now he's bringing even more clarity to the tension there that existed. Watch what he says. For he himself is our peace who has made us both one. And it's broken down in his flesh, the dividing wall of hostility. And if you go pull any um, maps, or if you look in the back of your Bible, maybe you've got a map. I don't know if it'll be where you can find it there in your Bible. It may not have it. But at Herod's temple, there was a literal wall. This is not a metaphor. There was a literal wall in the temple. That was the dividing wall. And the Gentiles could go to the wall, but they could not go past the wall. There was an inscription that was on the wall that basically the the idea was you are responsible for your own death if you go any further. And it was a warning to all the Gentiles. You cannot access God. You cannot go beyond this point. Because what's on the other side of this wall is reserved for us. And Paul says here that he has broken down the dividing wall, and I love the word that he used there, of hostility. That, that dividing wall was a, was a hostile wall. It was meant to, 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 to have someone kept out. And the Jewish people in this time, they were serious about segregation. It was a spiritual segregation that's where it started it was rooted in trying to you know reserve these people for the people of God but it began to bleed over into a social segregation between the Jews and the Gentiles so the question is then how does Jesus do this if he if he broke down the dividing wall of hostility how did he do this Paul tells us he gives us four ways He says, by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinance, think think, uh, the rituals, the feasts, circumcision, the hoops that people had to jump through in order to get to God. He's, He's abolished the law of commandments that he might create in himself one new man, follow this, one new man in place of the two, so making peace. So that's the first way. The second way is this. And might reconcile... You don't reconcile something unless it needs to be reconciled. And Paul says that he has reconciled us both, Jews and Gentiles, to God. And then he uses the word again. In one body through the cross. Thereby killing the hostility. There's the word again. And he goes on. The third way is this, verse 17. He came and preached peace to you who were far off. And peace to those who were near. Now notice what he doesn't say. He doesn't say here, peace to you who were far off and peace to you who were near. He's communicating again to the Gentile people, you were far off from God. This is your place. This is where you were. You were far off. And then there were some that were near. And the fourth way is this. For through him, we both, we both, have access in one spirit to the Father. Paul over and over and over again is, is, is identifying this idea that it is no longer two, but it is one. He's gonna say that in chapter five when it even comes to marriage. That the he's gonna reference an Old Testament passage that the husband shall leave his family and, and the two shall become one. He's signifying, he's communicating this idea of unity in the people of God. Because of what Christ has done on the cross. And so then there's the big, the big so then. I love Paul. He's such a great communicator. Such a good, such a good uh, speaker, communicator, author. He says, so then. Here's the bottom line. Here's the good news. So then. You are, and underline this, no longer strangers and aliens. But you are fellow citizens. With the saints and the members of the household of God. Built on the foundation of the apostles. Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. In him the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together. And I love this picture that we get. Into a dwelling place of God by the Spirit, a dwelling place for God. Now again, we read that in our 21st century, 2017 culture, where we got up this morning and we made a decision, wow, do we go to church or do we not go to church? We woke up this morning and made a decision, would I rather watch somebody on TV or would I rather get dressed, take a shower, all that stuff, and and drive somewhere to church? We have the choice today in 2017. Do I want to be a part of this church? or Do I want to be a part of that church? Wow, I like their style of music. Wow, I like their vibe. I like what they do. I'm going to pick. But for a first century Gentile person who had been told their whole life, you don't fit in. You're, you're not part of the, the people of God. You don't have access to, to God. They've just been told you are fellow citizens, not only federal citizens, but now you are a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Some of you here today, you, you may feel that way. You, you, whether that's a spiritual thing or a social thing, I don't know, but you just may feel like, man, I've just been on the outside looking in the whole, my whole life. My family doesn't get me, my, 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 I don't have really any friends anymore because the ones I had, they don't get me anymore. I, I never really fit in you know, because I never felt like I was good enough. I never felt like Jesus could love me because of the choices that I've made. And Paul is communicating to every one of us that we are now, we now have access, we now have the possibility, we now have the chance, we have the opportunity to be a part of this dwelling place, to be a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So here's the the last point in this section that I want to make today is this. Because of Christ Jesus, wanderers now have a home. Because of Christ Jesus, wanderers, people who had no land, people who had no people, people who had no God, People who had nothing but their past to look at. Wanderers now have a home. And their home is now the dwelling place for God by the Spirit. so spiritual brokenness is real. That, that's what Paul is communicating here. Spiritual brokenness is real. There's spiritual brokenness all around us. There was spiritual brokenness in the first century where the, the Gentiles were, were trying to figure out how to live for Jesus, and there was a Jewish people. You can go back in Acts and read it. There were Jewish people saying, no, 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 you've got to do this, and you've got to do this, and you've got to take this step. And Paul's saying, no. It's because of the blood of Jesus Christ. It's because of his sacrifice. It's what he accomplished. And so spiritual brokenness is real and it can only be restored by the gospel. That's it. Spiritual brokenness that we see in our country the spiritual brokenness that we see in our families, the spiritual brokenness that we see in, in, in children who have gone wayward, who have gone sideways, who have made some terrible decisions. So the spiritual brokenness of, of friends that we once had, and they've just made some terrible diso- choices. And so we've had to say, hey, I, I've got to distance myself because the, the choices that you're taking are just, they're, they're, they're ruining your life, and I can't, I can't help you. The spiritual brokenness that we see in our, in our country, in our community, in our family is real it's not another program, it's, it's not another ministry platform, it's, it's not another talking head up here for 35 minutes on a Sunday. It can only be restored by the gospel and, and here's where we, we have to pivot for just a moment. Because this is the other implication that happens in this passage of scripture is that social brokenness is real. Social brokenness is real. There's a lot more airplay. They don't call it that, but there's a lot more airplay on the local news and cable news and the internet today about the social brokenness in our country. Social brokenness is real. It was real in the first century. That's what Paul is, part of what Paul is addressing here is the brokenness that was between the Jewish and the Gentile people, and it can only be restored by the power of the gospel and here's the and. And the actions of the followers of Jesus Christ. You see, we've been empowered as followers of Jesus to go and to help heal the land. We've been empowered as followers of Jesus Christ. Jesus said it in Matthew 5. You're a city set on a hill. You cannot be hidden. So let your light shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. We have been charged with the task of not only holding out the hope for the spiritual brokenness that exists in our neighbors, in our community, in our family, but the social brokenness that is there as well. And that can only come from the power of the gospel and the actions, the ways, the posture that we take. And so again, I, I, I want to just take a moment and, and I, I just want to have a conversation with you for just, just a moment And if spiritual brokenness is dependent on the, the power of the gospel, it's dependent on the gospel alone to, to, to restore brokenness in someone's life. Now, again, we hold it out. We, you know, Jesus said in John 13 that the world will know that you're my disciples by the way that you love one another. So we still have a responsibility to carry hope to a spiritually broken world. But if what we interact with every single day is social brokenness as well, What do we do? How do we take those steps? I read an article this week that a gentleman wrote on a website called The Gospel Coalition. And the, the, the idea behind the article was, how do we as Christ followers respond to events that happen in our community like the Philando Castile verdict. Now, I'm not going to stand up here and talk about the courtroom. I'm not going to stand up here and talk about the evidence. I'm not going to stand up here and talk about the video that was released this week and what the jury saw that we don't have a clue what was going on really in our world. What I want to stand up here and talk about to you this morning is the social brokenness that erupts on our social media pages when those events happen, that is rooted in spiritual depravity and brokenness. So this gentleman wrote an article and he said, the question that hopefully Christ followers, the first thing that comes to mind is, well, what should we do? what, what, What should we do about this? I mean, a, 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 a father lost his son, a mother lost his son, a, a fiancé lost her fiancé, a, a, a friends lost their friend, a school lost their, 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 an employee that was apparently very well loved. What do we do? And he said, I pose another question. That's important. But he said, I pose another question. And the question is, what should I feel? What should I feel in that moment? Some of you, I can tell you're looking up a gospel coalition article. Is he legit about this? I'll put it on my Facebook later, link to it if you want to. Because see what happens when we feel. We align ourselves with Romans 12, 15 says this to rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. And the word that comes to mind in that moment is this word, this idea of empathy. It's feeling what the other. Person felt first. Another way to word it, and Colin, who prayed earlier, he, he, he's taught me this. He's, he, I've heard him say this a bunch of times before. He says, seek to understand before seeking to be understood. Is that when we begin to put ourselves in the place of social broken situations, and we begin to say, what, what would I feel in that moment? I think it changes what we do. And I'll give you one example of that. One example. I have four children. I have a 12-year-old daughter. She turns 12 next month. I have a 10-year-old daughter. I have a seven and a half-year-old daughter. And I have a tornado for a son named Cody. You know the conversation? This this, I I've I've never thought about that until I read this article this week. You know the conversation that I've never had to have with my children? You know the conversation that my father, who's here, sitting right back there, never had to have with me? The conversation he never had to have with me, and the one I'll probably never have to have with my kids, unless Cody continues to act the way that he does, the one I'll never have to have with my kids is, what do you do when a cop pulls you over? You see, that's a a feel moment. Because I promise you, my friends, I've got a friend of mine who's a pastor of a church in Hickory Hill, and he got pulled over, an African-American brother got pulled over. He's, he's, a, he's a high-ranking director at FedEx, lives in Germantown, and posted this long post about how he was scared for his life because he was going 40 in a 35-mile-an-hour zone, and the cop got him in his Lexus. You see, I'll never have to have that conversation with my kids more than likely. But when we look at the African-American community and we see the social brokenness that exists in our world, and we put ourselves in their place, and we say, what are they feeling this moment? What are they feeling this week when they send their kids off to school, hoping that they come back? It begins to change what we do. It begins to change our eyes. It begins to change how we interpret the information that we're giving My wife got a ticket a couple of weeks ago coming out of our neighborhood. She didn't come to a complete stop when she came to the stop sign. She just kind of bumped and just kind of went. And right there, boom, cop got her. $200 ticket in Cargill, man. If you run a a, a, a stoplight, you're going to get nailed. And you know what happened in that moment when she came home and told me? I didn't hug her and embrace her and say, hey, I'm just so thankful that you're safe. I'm just, I'm I'm so so thankful thankful that you're here. I'm so so thankful thankful you didn't get hurt. I'm so so thankful thankful things things didn't go wrong. I said some other things, like, why don't you stop at the stop sign? You won't have to flush $200. It was a different conversation with her. So when we rejoice with those who rejoice, and when we weep with those who weep, it changes how we posture ourselves towards our brothers and our sisters and other communities that are hurting and Here's the last statement I'm going to make. The worship team is going to come this morning. The last statement I'm going to make is this: is that if those that are following Jesus don't bring the gospel to a broken world, if we won't bring the hope of the gospel to a broken world, then who will? And you know the question that I had to wrestle with this week when I thought about that question? You know the question that I had to wrestle with this week? The question that I had to wrestle with this week is what color do I envision when I talk about a broken world? What color of people comes to my mind at first when I say bring the gospel to a broken world? Who do those people look like? And I can promise you, those who are being built into the dwelling place of God all over this world probably look different than my first pass that I had when I thought about that this week. I want to pray for us. Jesus, you are good. Thank you that for every one of us, we have the hope of the gospel. All 50,000 plus residents of our city here in Cardiff, they have the, the hope of the gospel that's been extended out to them. Thank you that our friends next door who have a different faith than us, and they share our parking lot. They have the opportunity as well to have the hope of the gospel. And I pray that as Christ followers, as Jesus followers, as the the people of God, the dwelling place for God, the citizens of the kingdom of the family of God, and oh, we would be broken at the, at the, at the, at the, the spiritual, spiritual brokenness, brokenness of our country, of our or country the spiritual brokenness of our communities but that it, it wouldn't just be a little vaccine of Jesus that we try to shoot in people's arm but that, that we, would, would, we would run this race with him that we would, that we would do life with people who look, look differently, differently than us that we would realize that whether it's Hickory Hill or whether it's South Memphis or whether it's Frazier or whether it's Midtown or East Memphis or downtown that the spiritual brokenness that exists there the only hope is the gospel and the only hope for the social brokenness that exists there is not another government program although we need those it's not more police on the street and I'm so thankful for our police It is the people of God being broken by the spiritual and the social brokenness that exists in our communities. And being willing to say, how should I feel about this? How do you feel about this? And then going and doing something about it. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen.